When you talk about bands that explode onto the scene, you have to include Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Today's guest is at the center of that band. Dallas-born and raised Kenny Withrow is the band leader, songwriter, and lead guitarist for the band. He opens up the interview, filling us in on how they went from releasing their hit, What I Am, to being on Saturday Night Live less than 30 days later. (laughs) That kind of movement can make your head spin. In addition, we dig into last year's album release, Rocket. They just walked out of a studio in Austin a few weeks ago, having recorded another album. Ooh, can't wait. And at the end of the show, Kenny tears into a free-spirited jam session for all of us to enjoy. Let's get this show on the road. Amy, can you crank it up for us? This is the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people behind the scenes. Are you listening? Hey, campers. Muddy and I are sitting here in Kenny Withrow's studio. You all know Kenny as the lead guitarist, band leader, and songwriter for Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Their launching pad song was What I Am, which Edie and Kenny wrote. I'm surrounded by Gibson, Gretsch, Ibanez guitars over here in the corner is a telly. I'm looking over uh, Kenny's uh, guitar board. It's fascinating. Hopefully I'll remember to take a picture of it before I head out. (laughs) It's also pretty funky. When I pulled up in front of Kenny's house, I found myself across the street from the first house my wife and I lived in um, several years ago. But uh, some cosmic vibes, my friends. Hey, Kenny, th- thanks for letting Muddy and I invade your musical, musical sanctuary. Glad to have you guys. Thank you. Oh, it's great. Kenny, I once read that you said that New, New Bohemians was a deep Ellum weirdo band, and all of a sudden you were on Top 40 Radio. Can you explain or expand upon that? <laughs> well, uh, it, it was definitely like that. I mean, I think we played around Dallas for about four years uh, before we were getting signed, and you know, we were definitely pretty ingrained in Dallas, and we had a, a, a group of people that would follow us every place we played, every venue, and and it was, you know, yeah, it was a kind of a weird scene. We would make up the way we would make up songs, and uh, the way Edie would kind of reflect what's going on in uh, the community and what was going on in the room and things like that. It was, it was, it, we were an interesting. Uh, we were underground band, to tell you the truth, you know. But we happened to write catchy songs, and somebody heard that maybe they would be good on the radio so it just kind of happened by accident as far as that goes yeah we were a weird band as far as we were concerned and then somebody heard something and i guess they were right it sounded like you mentioned that Edie would be exploratory you'd be exploratory so absolutely when you you walked into a song you didn't okay this is four four and it's gonna we're this we're gonna play three verses three choruses and that's it you you didn't approach it that way not exactly in fact we didn't and uh, a lot going on there actually we didn't even know what a verse and chorus was until we were finally in the studio and people asked us what's the chorus and we're like i don't know so, <laughs> so we didn't we didn't we didn't really i don't know <laughs> but yeah and that could change from night to night i mean we're literally from moment to moment being spontaneous and you know if Edie, if we can tell Edie was feeling something uh, a, a section would extend she would even maybe write new lyrics for that section there's there's a song called uh air of december that's that's on the first record and the whole end section where uh she sings the whole end section this kind of a tag that happened spontaneously one night and kind of became the song unbelievable the, so sing, things like that you know the form was kind of open 
and we kind of kept it that way. Not not to mention, like, if we came out on the stage and, you know, the, the room felt great, we felt great, we would just start playing and Edie would sing, like, whatever. You know, I mean, we would just play and Edie would just sing. And she has the ability to sing a four-minute-long pop song off the top of her head, you know? Amazing. And uh, so, you know, there were probably a little longer jams in those days. And, you know, like I said, we were a little weird. <laughs> yeah. It was the 80s. There, was, there were things going around Dallas, possibly ecstasy. I don't know. I've heard of that. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> right, exactly. Somebody told me. Some guy named Kim told me that. Exactly, I no, exactly. I had no idea. But uh, so things, yeah, we were a trippy little band that all of a sudden, yeah. And then our first record came out, What I Am, you know, Redbeard played What I Am. And literally two weeks later, it was all over the country and we received notice that Saturday Night Live wanted us to play. <laughs> I mean, Whoa. I mean, it was like, there was, it wasn't even a full month from the record coming out to, that just full circle. And then we were like, our tour was booked. And the first show of our first tour was Saturday Night Live, which helped <laughs> A lot. You know, we had just played uh, Louisiana and uh, Oklahoma a couple times and Austin once. So we hadn't even toured at all. So our first tour was doing Saturday Night Live. And then we did the tour, which really helped a lot. That that tour sold out. And it was just a it was it was a really good time. Good timing is, is what I mean. You know, Edie has that way of sort of just sort of intuiting so many things that are in the ethereal and that, you know, I think she really struck something with what I am or I don't know. It just seemed to be, you know, it was, we were coming on the heels of kind of the new age movement and I think she was in whole foods one day and was being inundated with so many new age things. She kind of like came up with that lyric and we wrote that song. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. So, I mean, that's just mind boggling. I mean, that, that's probably the quickest from local to national in uh, of any band ever, I would think. Pretty, da- pretty damn close. I mean, going less than four weeks after you release an album, you're on Saturday Night Live, and you've predominantly been a Dallas band, period. Yeah. that. So, yeah, that was definitely a thing. It was, it was really weird. I mean, because, you know, we go from being uh, going to K&ON and doing all-night things where we, you know, sure with DJs and things like that, maybe getting some, some tunes on there. And then all of a sudden we're on Y95, the number one tune on Y95 Dallas. I never listened to Y95. No offense to Y95 listeners, but right. you know what I'm saying? I don't even think that's around anymore. But all the power pop stations were playing. So that was weird, you know, for sure. I mean, did it throw some of you off? I mean, that's that's awful quick fame. I mean, uh, but, but but my impression from having spent some time here with you and and watched Edie and read about both of you, it, you're pretty down to earth people. So nobody went too weird with all of a sudden that unbelievable fame. <laughs> Uh, you mean like like going to their head and stuff like that, or just yeah, whatever? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we were young. We, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask people around us, but I don't. <laughs> no, everybody was actually very was very cool. We did our first tour, and it was hard to get any kind of perspective of what really was going. We knew we were being played all over the country. We go into Georgia, and and we'd be, you know, the biggest band around in Georgia. So we were kind of just. Kind of uh, uh, learning as as we went around the country what and was going. Took it in. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. You hinted a lot. Uh, you hinted to you're exploratory. And before we started the interview, I, I, I mentioned to you that I kind of hear some jazz. But can you narrow down your influences that got you rolling in, into the music world? Sure. Um, we all went to what we know as Arts Magnet, which is the uh, high school of the performing arts, Booker T. Washington in Dallas. Right. And, uh, and we were all exposed to, we all studied jazz. 
there and we were exposed to so many different kinds of music and, and not, not just jazz but everybody the, the, the eclectic mix of friends like Devo and you know I, I was from like Ted Nugent and like East Dallas 70s hard rock honestly okay. that's yeah. what I liked you know right. I still do and I uh, went to Arts Magnet got turned on to Ska Devo Bob Marley Mahavishnu Orchestra and, oh, my and, and, yeah, 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 and and Miles Davis, and and really, absolutely, Miles Davis became the blueprint of how we jammed. Really, Bet- oh, really? Between Miles Davis and King Crimson around the Beat Discipline time, that it was that those were the cornerstones of our playing. You know, uh, nobody really in, in, embraced jazz formally, but I mean, we learned some of the language in in along with other languages. You know, we were always interested in being in between the genres and and. And our own special glue of different things. From your perspective, you're. We'll get into this later, but you're heading off to some festivals this year, and mm-hmm. some some of them are kind of jam focused festivals. Absolutely. In your mind, can you clarify jam music from jazz music? Is that well? That possible? line that line is starting to blur. I mean, rock jam bands were definitely. I mean, Almond Brothers are their blues base. I mean, for a long time, the Grateful Dead was the jam band correct of rock you know and in the 80s if you liked to improvise we all learned to improvise in school there was a group called uh uh beale asserta that was a 20th century uh improv groups and we learned to improvise there so that's coming out of high school that's what we were into and the grateful dead was the only only game in town so in terms of jamming you know back then it was kind of rock oriented these days the lines are being blurred because number one there's so many amazing players young players you know young players that have that have that have grown up on YouTube with every single, whatever you want to learn. You can literally learn whatever you want to learn. I didn't, you know, my sister's boyfriend taught me how to play, you know, bad company. That's how I learned, you know? Right. And it's just different for kids now. And you were seeing it. I mean, kids are amazing at such incredibly young ages, right. you know, there's more jazz players. So I think jazz is kind of finally infiltrating rock. You know, it's like, it's a funny thing. Jazz right. players kind of rock, whatever. And rock players like jazz, whatever, but you know, there's people that can, I, I like being in the middle, you know, I don't want to be in either camp, right. but they're kind of melding these days. And, and, and in terms of musicality, obviously jazz is more complex har- harmony and there's more changes The the core, the yes. keys are going to be changing and the chords are going to be changing. And so as an improviser, you need to be able to change modes and you need, you change constantly. It's just, that's just part of jazz. Very good. And good rock, point. you're going to, you're going to, you it's going to be a lot of pedal tones. You're going to be, you know, pedal tones, easier, more folk type changes and, and, and kind of more rock oriented. But like I said, that's kind of, you have uh, groups like Humphreys McGee who are kind of yeah. prog jazz, you know, there's, it's, it's starting to get, the lines are being blurred there for sure. That's great. That's great. Well, Tedeschi trucks to me, sometimes yes. they step into the jazz side a little bit, but I, a little bit, but, uh, but they, they approach though. They, I agree. Yeah. Like when they come out, it's wide open. My friend Dave Monzi played with them for a year when they were auditioning bass players. And I love the way he auditioned bass players, by the way. He would literally oh. play with somebody for a year and then and, and it was and it was for this reason because when they came out, they would just play. They're like that. And in between songs, it's open. And then they go to another song and they 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 play like jazz players in that band. Absolutely. Oh, very good. Okay. All right. When you recorded Rocket, the mm-hmm. latest album that came out last year, it had been 12 years since Edie and the New Bohemians had been in the studio recording an album. Mm-hmm. That's a long stretch. Did you wonder if you were going to ever get back together? Honestly, we all thought we had one good record 
left in us. You know, it, it was a blow when we when we made um, Stranger Things, which you know we we all love that record, and we toured on it. Right. And we unfortunately we tragically lost our keyboard player uh, uh, Carter Albrecht. Oh. In, in an accident, okay. and and that was a serious blow to the band. And and we uh, for at least a couple years, the, even the thought of playing was pretty rough to even think yeah. about. So we weren't sure if we were going to play again. Gotcha. And then we started talking, you know, able to talk about the future. And we all kind of decided that we had one more good record in us. We were going to make another record. But in the mean, but now that we've gotten together since we improvise and write so much, we had an we had two albums worth, made one record. Oh, we, we, I love it. I love now, it. But, and, and then we just wrote a whole other record and recorded it last month. So, oh, you did? Yeah. So we have oh, another good. record coming out now. Is it named after another dog? Uh, <laughs> I know, right? It's a whole... whose whose dog is Rocket? <laughs> exactly. Whose dog whose dog is Rocket? By the way, uh, well, that that's a ro- there is a real Rocket that we found down in Brazil that looks exactly like that dog that, that ended up with Hunter <laughs> Hendrickson, who, who's a, a young. I love Hunter. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah, 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 yeah. I, I taught him when he was when he was young, but now yeah. he's you know, unbelievable. He took my place in, in Forgotten Space. Now he's the lead oh, is guitarist. he? Okay, good. I was going to ask you about Hunter. In fact, yeah, I, I want to talk to Hunter again. I had him uh i did a gig at 508 park like six seven years ago and i brought hunter down there and he mm-hmm. he, he just he he kicked butt he did yeah, yeah yeah he's and it, speaking of blurring the lines he has been studying and he has really taken the big bite out of playing some real jazz now and uh ah. man he in the last year and a half hunters really exponentially he he's become one of the real players around period i think very good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, is he getting some recognition outside of Dallas? Well, I mean, you know, I've, that's, the, <laughs> that's the tough part, right? Well, well, it is. You know, he's been working on a record for a while. I hope, I hope it's done soon. Hope you're listening, Hunter. Hope it's done very soon. Right. <laughs> and uh, it'd be great for that record to be out and him to do some touring because, golly, he's he's on fire. But you know, I he's really on fire with Forgotten Space, though. You know, he's kind of t- that band has taken on a new energy as well since I've left as well. So which good. is which is great. I'm really happy for them. Your approach in the studio for, for cutting the Rocket album was, was different from what I understand from prior albums. Uh, can you take us through that new approach and why? Absolutely. It kind of goes back to what we've been talking about, that we're spontaneous improv players. You know, What we've noticed throughout the years when we would write a song, uh, literally in the rehearsal space, when we finally would get, well, okay, this is the arrangement, and the first three times we run through the song, okay, there's going to be a guitar solo here, and I take the solo those are the versions that's the song the first right. few times you Correct. play the song is like there's just something there it may evolve to something different and you get on the road and it, uh, but sure. there's something about when you finally are all, you're really listening for one thing and you're all just finding your thing and you haven't overthought it you haven't tried to expand this is it this is my stuff and you know there's a sound to that and we did that in the studio we we showed up, we had a couple tunes to start with, and then we had no more songs. So we wrote tunes. There's songs that were played for the first time that are on tape, that are on the record. So that's pretty exciting. Oh, wow. Like like we wrote the tune, got it down. We, we did some editing. So sometimes if there was a nice section, we would... So there is some part of the record there. This is literally the first time we played that before. So, so and, and before in, in the prior albums, right. you'd all each of you would go in at separate times almost and record that kind of well, even more, even more than that, we would you know, you'd rehearse, you know, you'd yeah. be in the rehearsal space, you have all these different versions, you'd go in and then you're and you're basically looking for the drums and things like that. And and as you do basic tracks, what's known as basic tracks is when everybody plays together. But a lot of times you just keep the drums and then what you're just saying, everybody right. goes back and replaces their parts. And it's really done separately like that 
not that there aren't great records made like that, but right. our, our strength is the way we communicate and connect with each other. So that was kind of messing that up. We try to play together as much as possible. In fact, when we go to, we do what's called buddy dubbing. Okay. <laughs> our, produ- our producer, Kyle, got us into this. So if th- somebody has to do an overdubbers, Edie's fixing a vocal. Anybody else who has anything to do goes in too. So, so there'll be three of us fixing a song at a time. So we still get that interaction going. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. fascinating. So we'll overdub together as well. So that probably adds a freedom or more of a flow to it, right? You're all, for lack of a better term, kind of in the moment instead of boom, boom. Okay, now we got this piece. Now we add this piece. Yeah, because other records that I've played on, most of them even, like I say, you start with the drums and this and that. You you'd want to keep the guitar you played when everybody played together. But a lot of times you're in a, your amps in a closet and it's just a afterthought. It doesn't sound great. You got to do it again. Right. So what happens is you have, say, 12 songs. All the drums are done. The bass is done, guitars, you know, uh, other guitars done. Then it's like, okay, Kenny, now you have 12 songs to do all the overdubs on. Let's do it. You know, and then you got to sit down, you know, in a, in a sterile space with speakers right. in front of you and somehow get into the track. Some people are great at that. Yeah. I'm not saying I can't do it. It's just not my favorite, you know. Yeah, yeah that's probably, that's why probably where some studio mis- musicians come in because they can, they can, okay, I'll come in at two in the morning and nobody else is there but me and the sound guy and boom, do it. And that's fine. It's a skill. But you've got to feel it. Some yeah, people you, are... you want to feel it. Mm-hmm. So do you think going forward, well, you've, now you just finished another album. So we you had t- z- took the same approach with this album. We had album. zero songs going in this time. Zero? Yeah. We went and wrote every song and recorded it. Oh, wow. Awesome. Did you do that locally, or where did you do that? Uh, we've been going down in Austin to Arlen Studios. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. How do you personally approach writing music? I, I'm just an improv player. You know, I, I, I just play and record it, and, you know, it, it, as far as that goes, it's sort of whatever I'm working on recently, and between that or I'll just sing to myself, you know, I... I, I, I so much of music is like catching up to what we hear naturally in our ears, you know. If I could just play on my guitar, what I, you know, that's the goal. <laughs> right, right. You know, so so I just go back to my ears a lot of times because that's where the the whole universe is, you know. So I just start singing and play along with it. Okay. So now you come in and let's say you, you like you said, you had some songs coming in and maybe I, I, I've read or heard in other interviews that maybe Edie hasn't heard them yet. So you, so can you take me through how you, you play to Edie and how she takes off from there? <laughs> sure. We've been doing it for so many years and there's, there's lots of different ways that that will go down. If I bring in an idea and uh, th- there's been times when there's a song called the wheel from our first record where I had brought in the music to that. And she had these lyrics and a melody as well that she brought in and they freaking went together. It was just, uh, it was just a weird thing that happened. So it can be like that. Or if I bring in an idea myself, uh, it, it can sometimes she'll just sing right on it like a superhero we wrote together like in 15 minutes you know we just did that 15 from, minutes well it came it came quick you know wow. it, it just it, it, all the parts did we need another part okay here it is you know it's not always like that but that one that one did right but but when you started playing it there wasn't a name to it right oh no and, and she then she hears I think she said she and then I heard Superman I heard she Batman said, and I heard Superman Spider- Batman <laughs> Spider- Spider-Man yeah yeah yeah, Spider- yeah yeah you're the man and you know, she's it, well. Here's what usually happens: I play the idea, she sings whatever the first thing comes to her mind. We stop playing and we laugh for about five minutes, and then we continue. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, where the hell did that come from? And then she's like, "That's what's came out." I'm gonna, gonna tell you. And then we just wrote that song. 
but sometimes it can go different ways, like like really ways that I don't that that I don't expect. You know, it's it's a crapshoot. Who knows? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. You you mentioned that you know, that she'll do a song and after you play, bouncing off of what you've written, and you'll laugh for five ten minutes. Have you ever been surprised, big time surprised, by the direction she took took one of your your songs or one of the band's songs? Yes. Uh, yes, ab- absolutely, and it's hard to ex- explain that. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet it's hard. <laughs> well, part of it is is that having gone to music school, we have sort of a vocabulary and certain constructs for music. The way we use it, Edie's all ears. She's not fettered by musical education in that way, and so her ideas are outside of where we would sort of go musically is the best way I can put it. She's pretty quirky. We have a song called on the new record called Sleeve that's about tattoos. And I, yeah, I was not expecting the song to go there. The song's about tattoos. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, on the upcoming album. Yes. I'll, I'll play it for you before you go. Oh, I love that. Okay. So, so oh, we'll to, get to, it you per, to personally. Yeah, to you personally. Oh, okay. That won't, sorry, folks. That won't be on, that won't be on the, uh, uh, the table. We'll do a different song for the show. I'll be back. Um, speaking of Edie, she's really complimentary of you. And in one interview, I heard her say, Kenny's the leader of the band. I'm, I'm just supporting him, which is pretty cool. That, she's, she's been super gracious. That's great. You know, for Rocket... It was kind of a gift record. She, I mean, we every almost every idea on the whole record, minus the two songs she wrote completely, uh, or three songs. You know, she just kind of supported the band. I mean, these are band songs. You know, right. I started almost every song. You know, from an idea of mine. You know, and she was just honored every idea and and followed it through to fruition. You know, she just kind of gave us this record energetically wise and, and almost me in particular, she was really graceful. And I, and I, and I, I really had my best time recording. This record is a little different. She's stepping up and there's some r- truly weird things on this record that, ah. I, that I love for sure. And Edie stepped up. This is more Edie on this record. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Let me put a plug in for, for Rocket again. I mean, folks, if, you, if you've you not spun the Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians recent album, Rocket, you need to. The rhythms, the pacing, the tone, the guitar work, the, the acoustics are very exploratory. Uh, the, the, I, I view the album as taking a full musical trip. I mean, it was no songs the same on there <laughs> at all. I mean, it, it's just fat, but they... But they flow beautifully. On the, the album really goes well. Like, like the song Colors. I mean, at one point in time, you're playing very clear notes of the scale. One and two and three and four and. Mm-hmm. And then a little while later in, in a section, you'll go spacey kind of ethereal. Mm-hmm. You know? And then Eyes in the Window. You deliver some real growl with your guitar. Thank and you. then there's this Led Zeppelin type buildup when, when Edie's singing Eyes, Eyes, Eyes. <laughs> and then... Lastly, I, I really think your solo on that was really beautiful. It was just right there. Thank you. Yeah, can, can you let's talk a little bit about Rocket. Maybe ex- tell people about some of uh, one or two of the songs and give us your thoughts on it. Sure, I'm, I'm very very proud of the record. Absol- absolutely, I think it's the it's the closest to our natural uh, uh, process that we've gotten. Okay, in a recording, you know, I think it's the freshest we, we we've ever gotten any recordings and like i said some of them are the very first two to three times that we ever ever played the song even colors is a great example i think we played that song three times that's the third time we ever played that song is is the, is one, the one that's on the uh, on the album yeah interesting and uh that song eyes i, re- I really love we there's been a discussion online about about <laughs> 
Facebook and microphones maybe listening to you talk in your room. Ah. Edie, had, Edie had this experience where her and Paul were talking about some table, and it came up on her. The table came up on her feet a little bit later, and anyway, Whoa. so so it's called Eyes in the Window. Window could be any kind of screen. It's about it's about any kind of screens. TV screen, your phone screen, oh, you know, cool. and computer screens, and uh, but but that tune. Uh, it's a musical idea I had almost completely together that she sang to. So she she completely wrote that tune to something I had I had written, and it, it, it kind of blows me away what she wrote to that tune. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Any any thoughts on that solo? In that that is a one take. I did it live. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. For me, that that's like uh, it's a, it's a gift from heaven because you know trying to do a solo again. My least favorite thing is to be in the solo in the studio and like you're doing your solo. Let's do it again. You know, <laughs> I right. like to do a solo once and then I'll see you next time. You know, and right, th- th- yeah, and then <laughs> and, and then that I'm basically turned off till I have to play the song again. Hopefully in a week. You know, <laughs> so yeah, I put I put so everything I had into that solo. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I, if I made a mistake, I made a mistake. So you know. But that one is that one is live. That one in uh, superhero solo. There's a couple of them. Uh, what makes you happy solo? That's that's yeah. that's when we. That's live. Yeah, three of them are live. Yeah, that's awesome, Kenny. That's yeah, awesome. Thanks, man. I'm really happy about that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> with your skill set on the guitar, I would lay odds. And with your touring and etc., you've probably had some really cool jam sessions outside of the New Bohemians, right? Where you've jumped on stage with somebody else. Can you take us through some of that? Sure. I, I I've been able to. Uh, my good friend Dave Moynihan, known as Grateful Dave, he's real good friends with Los Lobos. Oh yeah, I love those guys. Yeah, me too. I think those guys are monsters. David Hildago, I think, is is one yes. of my heroes. Yes, absolutely. And uh, in fact, they were they were playing the winds the windspear down there. And uh, he gave me. I, I, saw, I saw him two years ago open for Tedeschi Trucks at oh, Re- nice. at Red Rocks. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Sounds like a great show. Yeah, that was great. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, not at all. Yeah, but Dave t- sends me a text and says, "Hey, come down to the windspear uh, and uh, sit in, sit in." You know? Yeah. Come, come, I was like, "Yeah, okay, I'll bring my guitar." I brought my guitar and I. And I, I walked in, and and he, he goes, "Yeah, man, I told Dave that you want to sit in." I go, "Why would you do that, man?" <laughs> My God, I was, you know, it's, place is packed, it's sold out, and it's their show, and it's at the Winsbury, really beautiful show, and it's on set break. So I go back, and they were they were all extremely, extremely gracious and nice to me, and let me sit in. I, I played the, first. I'm like standing there, kind of doing a mock interview with me, real fast, and they and they go, "So, can you play a cumbia?" And it was kind of a silence in the room <laughs> Dave Hildago just kind of bells me out and he goes hell yeah I can do a cumbia <laughs> and, and like uh, so I can play a cumbia beat so the first song was a cumbia <laughs> they went straight into uh, La Bamba which I, I got to play La Bamba with sure I, oh I love that and That's then they great. went into their last tune and so I played three songs with me in the set and then they were going back to their encore and they looked at me and said are you coming so I played four songs with them oh they my let, goodness that the, is so cool yeah the, in the middle of the last song called Masi Mas they let me play for three minutes I mean just such jammers, such great guys, such gracious guys. Now, yeah. early on, didn't you tour with the Dead? We 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 were fortunate enough to do two shows with the Dead. We did, yeah. That was at Foxborough and uh, RFK Stadium, nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah. That was that was sort of a dream come true for sure. I mean, you know, like I said, if in the eighties, you know, if, if you like the if you like to improvise, the Dead were the only guys in town, and and uh. And uh, yeah, that just kind of, we were in the middle of making our second record and, uh, and it kind of came in that these two shows were available and we absolutely. Did Jerry Garcia watch any? He did. Yeah. There's, yeah. In fact, there's pictures of him watching, sitting right behind me watching. I mean, you know, we, there's, 
It was a, It was during the day, so the place wasn't. It was probably there was only forty thousand people instead of sixty thousand. So they, it was there was a lot of people. Yeah. So we're so we're playing and we played the first song and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this, I am feeling pretty good. And I kind of look to the left over my shoulder and there's Jerry Garcia like this. He's got a cigarette and he's with his girlfriend. He's just big smile. I mean, it's cl- I mean, I could have touched. Him. He's just like right there. That is like, so cool. It was. It kind of made me nervous though. But yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, well, yeah, I would think so. <laughs> what were you like 23, 20? Yeah, I was yeah. 23. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be a little bit but of I was a challenge. Like, well, thanks dude. But he was very supportive and, and, and super cool. He said we got the, the best reaction of, of, of anybody, but sting, which, which was nice. He, he said, as Damn. far as an opening band, he said, uh, Besides Sting, it was he thought it was that's really that's kick ass. Yeah, nice. That's kick ass. So I think you've already hinted to it to a certain extent. So where is Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians going from here? You've you've got the album. Tell uh, tell us a little bit about when that's coming out. And I think you've got some festivals coming up, right? Yeah, a few different festivals. We're playing outside lands in in San Francisco. That is uh, August 11th in San Francisco. That's a really huge festival. They're expecting about 250,000 people. Paul Simon is, is headlining that, so that's cool. Good, so you have the family there. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, you know, I know a guy. Maybe I can watch from the side of the stage. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, then we're going to do Lockin, which is the premier jam yes. band uh, festival. And uh, that's August 25th, and we're super excited to get to do that. The night we're playing, it's... it's uh, Trey Anastasio and uh, Derek Trucks is going to be sitting in with them. So that's that's the headliner of that night. I'm really excited to see Derek play with, with yeah. uh, Trey Anastasio. That's really, really cool. So we're, we're doing that, and we're doing something called uh, – we're doing the, <laughs> another Kaboo. We're doing the – Kaboo is going to happen out in Del Mar in uh, oh, uh, really? Cal- California. That's the original one. That one is actually huge, and it's a really – Oh, I didn't one. know that. Yeah, they were kind of trying to export to Texas, and I don't – I, I'll, I'll reserve my opinion on how well it went, but this one is in Del Mar and uh, it, it's a great show. It looks like a really, really, really good lineup. And we're doing something called uh, bourbon and beyond in Kentucky and uh, something called pilgrimage as well. Way cool. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a sense? So, so the, the new albums uh, in the can. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you have a sense for when you'll be releasing that? We're trying to make it for this year. We're, okay. We're, we're at the, what I call the neurotic stage of the recording process where you <laughs> okay. have to... I've never seen that documented in a book, the neurotic <laughs> stage. Well, it's, you know, it's where you have to make the real decisions. You know, I'm done playing. That's the first one. You know, yes. I can't do anything else on the record. Okay, right. let it go. And then, and then you have to sort of decide that it's done mixing and you like the mix and everybody has a different idea of what the mix is. So that's actually more challenging than playing, you know, is getting through the mixing part. So we're, we're mixing right now. Okay. We're, we're okay. hoping that we can get it out this year and maybe get a fall tour in, or we might just gather all of our things together and, and get all of our ducks in a row for a spring release and spring tour. So we're, we're trying to decide. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. So will you, since it was done down in Austin, I mean, do you have to go down there or everything with computers, everything comes flying around? The, uh, an Austin space. guy is mixing it, but yeah, he'll, he'll just mail them, mail them to me. And then you'll give him your thoughts. and mm-hmm. turn Yeah. Yeah. From there. Cool. I yeah, love yeah. it. All right. I think his name's Chris Shaw. He's really good. He mixed a couple things on our last record. Yeah, good. He's, he's excellent. Well, we are sitting here in your studio all right. with all these guitars. <laughs> I mean, would you be, and I, I see a Mesa Boogie uh, set up over here. Yes, those are my new boogies. Uh, you know you boogies, yeah. And so would you be open to 
cutting a song for us? Uh, sure, I'll play some for you. You, you know, I, I do these things where I kind of, uh, I, have a, I have a little looper down here, and so I'll loop yes. some drums, and yes. I'll loop some bass on it, and I play on top of that. It's very jammy. It's very loose. It's not a song, but I'd be happy to play I it I love for that. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, that'd be totally cool. Okay. So here we go. Well, uh, Kenny's going to set up, and we're going to listen to a song. Kenny, thanks so much. The jamming was great. I love it. You've been a really great host to Muddy and me. Uh, hopefully he hasn't put your, your your dog in paranoid state. No, there's, it's a love affair. <laughs> Absolutely. But thank you so much for welcoming us in the house. It's been a great interview, and I can't wait to see you on stage around Dallas again soon. Thank you, Doug. I do appreciate the great interview, great questions, and, and you do you run a great program. Thanks, thanks, Ken. Thanks very much. I heard great things about you from Kim Harridge, and, and I, they seem to be all true. I appreciate it. You I take know. care of yourself, and we'll see you down the road. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Sitting in Kenny's studio, surrounded by guitars, amps, and pedals, and watching him jam out was a real kick in the ass. He was definitely in his realm, laying out some cool sonic vibes. If Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians are coming to a festival near you, be sure to attend. A truly fascinating, exploratory band. Also, late this year or early next, be on the lookout for their new album. The cut he played for me of one of the new songs was way cool. 
Well, I just got home the other day from visiting my family up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's an 840-mile drive. I was looking forward to the drive. It ends up that the wife, not so much. (laughs) The good thing is we made it there and back safely, saw some awesome visuals, and we're still married. But it's pretty clear that the next time I want to drive to Sioux Falls, my wife will meet me there, thanks to a plane flight. Bummer, dude. A long drive fosters some good podcast listening. In Mark Morin's WTF interview session with T-Bone Burnett, a Fort Worth, Texas native, by the way, T-Bone talked about a fascinating dream. He was in a large room, and people were lined up to meet with these ominous dark-suited guys at one end of the room. When you got there, they would cut off your right hand and replace it with an electronic hand. He obviously would always wake up from this dream in a cold sweat. Well, a couple years later, T-Bone walked into a coffee shop and noticed that everybody there was looking at their right hand. They were glued to their smartphone, their smart devices. His message, and now mine, is, remember, there's a lot more to experience in life than everything that comes through your electronic smart device. Please put them aside from time to time and participate in your own story, not the never-ending 24-hour-a-day electronic story. Y'all are the greatest. Have a super week, and we look forward to delivering you the next Dogger and Muddy Music Podcast. Adios.